Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, November 14th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we focus on our 2022 first base review. We're about halfway through this series, so I imagine, I don't know, before we get to the December holiday season, or at least the end of the December holidays, we'll have this series completely wrapped up just in time for the start of 2023. It's funny how those things work out with just a little bit of planning, right? Yeah, then we get to start all over again, where we preview. <laughs> the previews will be very different than the reviews. Oh, I'm just wholly, completely different. Absolutely different. So we're, <laughs> we're working on the how exactly uh, right now. That's, that's what we're working on. And then recording these episodes as we go along. But it's, be- it's better to keep the conversation going in November and December. I've you know worked on podcasts that sort of go away for a couple of months in the off season. You do maybe a handful of episodes and that's okay, but I'd, I'd rather just keep talking and thinking about the problems at hand and trying to learn stuff from the past year. So that is what we are going to do. Now, first base is one of these positions that I have looked at more closely in recent years as a priority position. I used to think, oh, there's always a first baseman. Every team has someone that can pop 20 homers and I can talk myself into a half dozen of those guys outside of the top 200 as players capable of maybe getting to 30 homers and uh, maybe getting 80 to 90 runs and 80 to 90 RBIs. And the truth is, a lot of those players in that range will bust or they simply don't play every day because they share their position, they share that role, or because of the attrition rate at this position, they just drop off the face of the earth completely over the course of the year and you're just left chasing production on the waiver wire, which is not impossible to find because players move around and we do get some multi-position eligible in-season players at first base, aside from anyone that comes up and takes a job outright. But the very top of this position has been very good. It was very good in 2022. And it's interesting to me that Paul Goldschmidt actually led first baseman in dollars earned in 2022 because he was the, in most drafts, fifth first baseman off the board back in April. Yeah, and these some of these dollar signs um, are higher for first baseman than for third baseman. Uh, I remember, you know, the uh, sixth best third baseman was Alex Bregman. Uh, the sixth best third baseman this year was uh, CJ Crone or Nate Lowe. Nate Lowe, I believe, yeah. And they're both worth around twenty dollars. I mean, twenty-one dollars for Nate Lowe, nineteen something for uh, Alex Bregman. Uh, also, the sixth uh, earliest taken first baseman was Jose Abreu, nineteen dollars. So there's a lot of similarities there. Where like there's a top five, and then there's a couple guys that are worth close to twenty, and then it, it drops off from there. Except uh, the top third baseman were worth, uh, according to uh, what is this? Is the these the Fangraphs? Auction calculator. Fan yep. Earn. We have some uh, nearly $38, $40 players here. Freddie Freeman, $37. Paul Goldschmidt, $38. Pete Alonzo, $33. Uh, I think those are heights that only somebody like Manny Machado um, was able to, to get to on the third base side. So uh, there's a little bit of uh, top-end talent here that the third base situation didn't have. Yeah, I mean, I think um, yeah, you look at Jose Ramirez and Manny Machado sort of being in a class of their own in terms of that year-over-year viability. We talked about Rafael Devers and the uneven season he had. I think he's sort of capable of matching the production of some of the elite first basemen if everything comes together over a full year for Jose him. Jose Ramirez that must have had a $35, $38. Kind of. It's constantly, yes. Yeah. He's just he's there all the time because he, he does everything. Uh, what's interesting, though, is in the very early 2023 drafts, 
Paul Goldschmidt's ADP is only up about a round, about 15 or so picks from where it was a year ago. So it seems like the early draft market is very skeptical of him being able to stay in the mid to high 30s level, which I think given his age is understandable. I guess the question is, how much should we how much should we be regressing Goldschmidt? How much of an outlier relative to his baseline was the season that he just put together? It was a 317, 404, 578 line to 177 WRC plus. It's just an incredible offensive season from a guy, the best WRC plus of his career, even as a mostly 34 year old. He turned 35 uh, in the middle of September. So, how much above expectations was this season when you look back at it for Goldschmidt? It, is, it was great. And we've talked about how maybe, you know, veteran hitters like him are being undervalued. I, there's one asterisk, though. You know, I was just at first pitch, uh, Arizona, uh, the event put on by Baseball HQ uh, at the Arizona Fall League. And uh, I noted that the Cardinals had like a 422 slugging against uh divisional opponents um and that was like 20 points higher than they had against everybody else and i'm looking at paul goldschmidt now and he had 53 abs i wish those were plate appearances but it looks like something like 65 plate appearances against the pittsburgh pirates uh bested only by his uh plate appearances against the cubs reds and brewers well, I only mentioned the Pirates first is because he had a 736 slugging against them. Pretty good. Uh, 736 slugging against the Cubs. He had a 629 slugging. And against the Reds, he had a 597 slugging. The reason I mention all of these things is that next year he will simply have three games against those opponents. So I do wonder what sort of performance quirks we saw last year will wash out a little bit uh, when there's a more balanced schedule and everyone plays everyone next year. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting thing to think about. It's going to be a regular part of the conversation on any podcast you listen to. I guess is this, it was the pitching in the central as a whole. Was it as bad as it's being Kind of painted to be. Does that change a lot? It's year a bad hair day. I can't yeah, handle it anymore. I, I was a little distracted. If you're watching on YouTube, you know, <laughs> just cover, just covering up the hair completely. Just it, it was, it's going to be okay. I got the dad hat going today. It's the, you know, the Brewers alternate logo. If I had the, more the hats, I'd wear them. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, you I, were saying. I've never, I've never seen you wear a hat. Yeah, well, I used to have my hair was too big. Also, though, uh, hats are increase your chance of balding that is that, that is a fable sir that's not a real thing is that gotta backed be up by, real is that backed up by scientific data i know you spend a lot of time around ball players that's what i'm saying <laughs> that's where i got it <laughs> also like when you wear a hat for a long time doesn't your hair hurt no your head hair no no, no, I I think you're wearing your hats too tight. <laughs> My head doesn't hurt after wearing a hat. Anyway, <laughs> try a softer hat. You were saying something about the Brewers. Uh, yeah, probably. No, it's the Brewers alternate logo on the hat. Oh, yeah. I think with the NL Central and the more balanced schedule, this is again, is it a is it a macro adjustment or is it a micro adjustment? Because you've talked about all these different changes with the shift rules, the more balanced schedule, and the importance of not necessarily overcorrecting for any one of those things because it's not a change taking place in isolation. So I wonder if there could be people that go a little too far saying, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to fade the NL central hitters because their collective opponent difficulty will get worse or will be, it'll be, yeah, it will, it will be harder for them, harder for the hitters because of the more balanced schedule. And that's probably true but if it's 2 to 3% more difficult instead of 8 to 10% and people are adjusting for that that larger range then it probably doesn't come back to bite you if you still you know, pursue someone like Goldschmidt at a high price or Arenado at a higher price than last year because there are a few cardinals that popped quite a bit those two in particular really jump off the page so I, 
I'm trying to account for it, but I'm trying not to overreact to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it does make a lot of sense. I, you know, Paul Goldschmidt is still a great player. Uh, I, I just hesitate sometimes also on the front of like, oh, we had these years from Freddie Freeman and Paul Goldschmidt. And so therefore, you know, old first basemen are a great bet. Because, you know, I just went through this with Joey Votto. <laughs> and Joey Votto this year was on a few of my teams. And you look at him, he is the biggest bust of the top, what, 15 first basemen? He's the first, you know, really negative. Jared Walsh was, you know, counts as well. Uh, but uh, Joey Bot is right there about 20 picks later than Jared Walsh with a worse season, a minus $5 season. Um, there's just going to be a moment where it's not as cool anymore. Uh, I don't think Goldschmidt's quite there yet, but, you know, that's why people, that's why it's only gone up around. I can't blame people for that. Right. It's the typical age discount being applied to someone that had an MVP caliber season. That's just, the way it works and I, I wouldn't I would agree with you I would not take two great seasons in the early and mid 30s for Freeman and for Goldschmidt and just say they age fine first basemen are fine they're safe because we do have more evidence pointing to the players just tailing off in a big way especially as they get to Goldschmidt's age so all that is a, a long and winding way to say like I understand why people are cautious, but I don't see a lot of actual underlying skills loss at all in Goldschmidt. Very, very small dip in barrel rate, but that's picking nits in a great season. I think the, the batting average category is where he probably loses something just based on normal regression there. Maybe a handful of homers, but I'd be surprised if a healthy Paul Goldschmidt in 2023 still doesn't pop 30 homers, hit a 280-ish sort of average and rack up a ton of counting stats because he just doesn't take days off and that lineup might even get a little bit better this year. He's also in that really interesting go-no-go no go period place for uh, stolen bases where he has some he has enough speed, you know, to steal bases and maybe with an extra five inches, you know, he goes up to like 15. And that's that's crazy. That's like t saying some guy who hit stole 15 last year is going to steal 30 next year. You know, like I do think there's going to be a little place where the no, the extra five inches are huge, where some people will double their saves, their stolen base totals. And so, I, you know, I would say, ah, oh, yeah, and he's getting older. Uh, he's only stole three bases in 2019 in a full season, one in the short in 2020. Maybe we only get three stolen bases from him next year. Well, we also have this, you know, stolen base thing. I mean, next year, this year that's coming is... It's going to be a poop show in fantasy. There are like really significant rules going in different directions. It's going to be nuts. A few other observations from the top end of the first base pool. Vlad Jr. comes down from the 48 homers he hit a year ago to 32. Still very good. Doubled up his stolen base total from 4 to 8. Came down to a 274 average after hitting 311 a season ago. We did see the walk rate fall too, so only a 339 OBP. Still good counting stats overall. Played 160 games, kind of maxing out the volume on playing time. And if you said, what do you expect next? My answer would be split the difference. And sure enough, you look at Steamer, the first projection set available over on Fangraphs right now, and it kind of does that exactly. You look at an average in the 290s, you get a 369 OBP, you got 40 homers, you got a few more runs, a few more RBIs than this season, but not quite as much as what we saw in 2021. And I think that is a big part of why, and age is a big part of why, he's still holding a place at the top of this position in the early drafts for 2023, even though when you look at the earn values for this season, he's behind the likes of Goldschmidt and Freeman and even Pete Alonso. Yeah, he's 23, dude. <laughs> 23 yeah. i wanted to yeah i want to do some pick nitpicking and be like oh, i don't like that that ground ball rate came back up you know uh, that's been the biggest source of concern for vlad guerrero is that he hits the ball really hard but on the ground and he you know 52 percent ground ball rate last year not not great for somebody you want to hit homers 
he's 23 years old. Uh, ground ball rate, uh, the aging curve on ground ball rate is uh, that you hit fewer ground balls as you approach your peak. So that means he has, by aging curves, you know, three or four more years of improving that ground ball rate. So that's a that's sort of a gentle nudge where you you know you're like well last year he had a 45% ground ball rate and this year you know in 2022 a 52% ground ball rate so you know you kind of throw those together and kind of regress them but then there's also the aging curve giving me a gentle nudge towards fewer ground balls uh, so that's I think why you get 40 uh, from Steamer as well it has a little bit to do with how players normally age and I'm into it man. Uh, I also think with an eight stolen base, uh, kind of, uh, number on his resume that that could easily be, you know, 10 to 15 as well next year. Um, and just, you know, the rising tide will, you know, float all the boats. So maybe, uh, 10 or 15 next year is just the same as eight this year, but I, I don't think so. I actually think that we're going to see larger increases from that go, no go uh, you know, group of players. And I think Vlad Guerrero might actually be there. So, um, that's just for people who are concerned with taking a first round pick that doesn't steal bases. I think that you don't want to put Vlad Guerrero Jr. in a doesn't steal bases category. No, but he's 33rd percentile in sprint speed and the success rates, eh, you know, eight for 11 is fine. I, I, that to me is not the let's push this guy more. I think mm -hmm. he's the sort of player that if he hits eight more home runs, you're probably going to lose a handful of bags because some of those opportunities go away and then he's doing the things that he really wants to be doing to make himself as valuable as possible and that pressure to steal a base kind of quietly goes away. So I, even though the, the, the totals and even the efficiency are kind of where you could see him running more, I have a harder time seeing it with him. I'm looking for players like this who are just, faster all around. I think this is this is a part of his game that will remain very limited for these next couple of years and it will disappear before he turns 30. I'd be stunned if he's stealing bases at 30. Yeah, it's not sticking around very long. The uh the weird thing, I think the thing that explains his last season is I you know, I heard I think Caitlin McGrath uh, say this where she's like he just didn't get hot. And if you look at his uh, chase rates, it was the worst chase rate of his career. Um, and the second lowest zone swing, but the highest swing percentage of his career. And I think that just reads a little bit like someone who was pressing all year to find that next gear. You know, it was we were always wondering, you know, why aren't the Blue Jays scoring more runs and kind of looking in his direction. So, um, you know, I think he was kind of pressing all year, and I think just having a, a hot beginning of the season next year, whether or not it has anything to do with the shift, um, you know, I think could put him on a better uh, pathway. I mean, if you just remember uh, what, you know, his past best year was like uh, in 2021, he just kind of started out on fire, you know, and I think he teetered, he came back to earth a little bit, especially in terms of the ground ball rate in the second half. Uh, but we just, we just remember the, the on fire portion. So I, I, I think that's still in there for him. I think he can totally have a season like that again. Yeah, I'd love him as a player available at the one-two turn if you're in a snake situation. Definitely the player that could be a top player in your budget for a salary cap build as well. No hesitation whatsoever as far as 30-plus dollars in, in formats where that's what top-end bats go for. I'm fine. I'm fine with the fact that I'm not expecting more than maybe a half dozen steals from him because I think he'll be great in every other category. I think that Jay's offense might be a little more consistent this year as well. I mean, Bo Bichette, had a rough year going until August. I think you get a normal year from him. That also has a little bit of a, a carryover effect for Vlad. Uh, it was Lourdes Gurriel stopped hitting homers. That was weird because he was hurt. You get a healthy Gurriel. That's another quality bat in that lineup. So there's a couple little things that can also nudge that production up. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Freddie Freeman, I mean, just a metronome player at this point. I have nothing new to say on Freddie Freeman anymore. I think being with the Dodgers will just continue to help him push Seasons in the $25 to $30 range, even as the skills fade. And even before the skills fade, he's above that. He's a $35 plus guy coming out of 2022 again. I don't, we, we gotta like write down these like little prop bet side things that we do. Uh, even though I don't really want to eat a hat, I don't think I said I would eat a hat, but uh, I think I lost the over under of that hat. It's a crispy uh, hat with the grill. I, I <laughs> I need a beanie first. I think um, uh, the I think I lost the over under. I think we were debating how many homers Freeman would hit during this season because early on he was hitting a lot of oppo fly balls and they were doing very poorly. And I believe I set the over under at eighteen. Mm. Twenty one is not uh, the thirties, but I think he's just settling in. It's like you know, look at the bell curve of a career. I don't think he's going to hit thirty five homers again. Uh, I think he's going to settle in at 21 to 25. That's where he was uh, every year before. He kind of had a little uh, power uptick in the, in his peak years, and he's going to return back to kind of the 300, 400, uh, 500 guy that that he was, uh, you know, in the early uh, in the early portion of his career, sort of 2011 to 2015. Uh, that's where he was sitting. So. I think that's what you get out of him, but uh, a 300 average is super, super valuable. He's a guy who will steal some bases, uh, and because he makes so much contact and has such a great eye at the plate and is on a good team, uh, I think those projections are light on the RBI. I think he's going to have another 100-100 year. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the difference between Freeman's OBP from 2022 and Vlad Jr., you're talking about almost 70 points difference. It's a lot more opportunities to score runs, a lot more opportunities to steal bases. Freeman doesn't run better than Vlad Jr., really. 39th percentile sprint speed. So if there's a difference, it's marginally in his just favor. on base more. Right. It's just more opportunities. And we saw it. 13 for 16. Plenty of efficiency there. They'll let him keep running that much. He's older, so quite a bit older. He's already going to be 30, 33 now. So maybe... He also is the guy that doesn't get that bump up to 18 to 20, but he'll keep running at the same rate that he's running at. The career high we just saw might be more possible now because of the changes to the bases and changes to the rules, right? So I like Freeman quite a bit. I wonder if I'm, I'm a little more bullish on the power, I think, than you are. I, and I'm not saying 30 plus, but I think high 20s are still a possibility for him because the barrel rate's still good. Hard hit rate's not really fading. It's not like he's hitting the ball on the ground a ton or anything like that. 38.7% ground ball rate is right in it line with his career norms. the other way so much. Yeah, but he strikes me as the kind of hitter. I think we talked about this when it came up in season as someone who can make the adjustments over the course of a winter and come back and go to the pull side more to unlock mm. that power more consistently. And it might be worth the while with the shift rules too, right? He might decide that's his best approach going forward. So I'm cautiously optimistic That's that true. we could see a, a surge back in that category from him. I, one thing I wonder about with him, uh, we don't talk about it very much, is the back uh, issues that have come and gone. Um, and I just wonder when those are going to become a little bit more uh, frequent. And then, um, you know, he really cut his swing strike rate early on in his career. He was an 11 to 12 percent swing strike right guy that struck out, you know, 20% of the time. And then he just cut that. And in the last three seasons, it's been eight and a half, nine and a half, eight and a half. I mean, that doesn't usually happen. (laughs) Like, I don't know what, how he, what he figured out. I mean, the background of this is that throughout the league, Velo is just going up (laughs) like from 2011 when he was striking out more often to 2022, I think the lead at, league added like two or three ticks of velo. So the velo's gone up and he's making more contact. I just wonder at some point the age says 
the back injuries become more frequent and the strikeouts become more frequent. Don't know when. It's remarkable that with the back concerns, he's played in 98.6% of a possible uh, total of games going back to 2018. His five-year track record of health is as good as any player in the pool. It's kind of Freddie Freeman and Marcus Simeon up there in a class of their own during that span. Plenty of other guys play 90-plus percent. He does some things to mitigate it uh, in terms of, uh, you know, I I was talking to him about his approach during batting practice, and, you know, he was practicing hitting line drives at the shortstop and uh i realized that that works for him because in batting practice he doesn't bend over uh and he bends more uh his back bends more during the games and i think that's because he doesn't want to bend his back during batting practice just a little weird thing that he's figured out to like keep his back in better shape so I mean, uh, we, we, so we saw this a little bit with Mike Trout. We're like, oh my God, oh my God, back, back, back. And he's like, yeah, I stretch a little more before games now. You're like, oh. Okay. And then he played really well coming off yeah, the IL. He really did. Made me feel stupid. Yeah, well, he didn't eat a hat for that one. <laughs> one thing, uh, yeah, I've sort of felt that one happening as it was happening. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have bet a, bat, a bet a hat on that one. Um, one thing that I think is interesting about first base when you when you get past that that top bit is just uh that you know third base it was a little bit more uniform at the at the back end you know it was pretty much just red at the bottom we talked about how there weren't that many sleepers uh that worked out first base did provide more sleepers in terms of double digit guys that went after the you know after pick 300 i'm gonna or you know around 250 even nate lowe was at 242 you know, there's a $20 guy. Uh, Andrew Vaughn at 292 was an $11 guy. Luis Arias, we've talked about him for every single position he's been at. Um, we're just going to keep that going. Rowdy Telez at 346 uh, was a $14 guy. Uh, Alec Bohm at 380 14 Yandy Diaz at 399 was an $11 player. He's always there for you. 400 Christian Walker, $20 player. 409 Seth Brown, 1150. Uh even 494 Jerkson Profar, 950. And uh, who's that? Albert Pujols at 573 and Josh Naylor, 583, $11. So, uh and then of course, uh obligatory brand injury reference. The uh <laughs> the the those are all great picks. The problem is I just listed all of the good picks that happened after pick 240. So there's also in there Brandon DeBelt, minus seven. Frank Schwindel, minus six. Miguel Sano, minus 16. Mike Moustakis, who was on teams of mine, especially DCs, minus seven. Dominic Smith, minus 12. Yoshi Tsutsugo, minus 13. Lamont Wade, I mean, these are all team. Those are all players that you might have put in the same group, where you'd be like, "Oh, I'll just get a first baseman from this group," and you either you'd grab it in that bag, and you either got a, a snake, or you got a Twizzler. I don't know. Well, I hate the Twizzlers, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Uh, that sounds like a great bag for you. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, what I'm saying is, it is kind of like that because it's such a fifty-fifty proposition, you know. It, it and it. And it's like in the spreadsheet, like, oh, look at all that green light. I love it. Except you have to be right. You know what I mean? You have to be right. Someone else can't swoop in on the player that you like. If you really liked Nate Lowe, and I know you did, and I, yeah. I liked him. I think plenty of people. And I had to jump him a couple of rounds to get him, you know? Yeah. Other people also liked him. So therefore, there was a chance you missed out. And I think you you probably went in expecting to have him as a corner. You weren't saying, I'm waiting all the way to Nate Lowe to make him my regular first base option. He may have become that player for you over the course of the year. If you if you got Jared Walsh well, or like Max Muncy AL or someone only, else like earlier. AL Labor, he was my first baseman. That's a little bit that's different. AL only is different, yeah. yeah but yeah, for yeah. a mixed league, you weren't sitting back and saying, I can wait on first base because I know Nate Lowe's going to be awesome. It's like, well, no, no, no. I'm going to take him as a corner because I think I can get a, a top 100 player, you know, 100 to 150 picks after where he should go. And that's what happened. And that's totally fine. Uh, but the mid-tier... Max Muncy, it's injuries. That's it. Uh, he's he's an injured guy. Like that's that's the only explanation for me as to why he well, struggled so much. Jared Walsh. 
Walsh ended up getting hurt pretty badly too. He played 118 games first though, and did have some skills lost prior to the season-ending injury. Oh, thoracic outlet syndrome for a first baseman. I just wonder how long he was playing with symptoms of that Must because be. of how quickly everything failed. He struck out more. He walked less. Barrel he barreled the ball less. Everything sort of broke down on him. He did hit the ball in the air more often, I guess, if you're looking for one sort of silver lining. But just knowing how devastating that injury can be, it makes it tough to believe in him as a, an immediate bounce-back candidate in 2023, barring some you know, really encouraging news on the health front between now and opening day. So I think... That one is also probably just a, he got hurt. I think the other question I've always had with Jared Walsh was for a late breakout sort of player and for someone who in 2021 kind of showed us, I think, a better true talent line. The partial season from in 2020 was just nothing but confusing, even though he was really productive on a per game basis. Mm-hmm. How quickly does it fade for the, a late breakout sort of guy with a high 20s K rate like that? And was he going to make enough hard contact to offset his strikeout rate if the strikeout rate went up? He had the he had the unfortunate situation where he struck out more and didn't even sustain the barrel rate. So that kind of led to this fast collapse. Yeah, and there's you know there's always this uh, chance that the projections just look at the poor numbers he put up while he was hurt um, and adjust for that. And then he gets fully healthy and comes back and is more like 2021 again. Um, you know, that, that, there is that chance. But I would say that the projections for him as a 108 WRC plus guy, as a guy who's just a little bit below, above, above, above average, is not great for a first baseman. You know, I think the average uh, first baseman this year, let me see if I can do this quickly. Uh, the average first baseman had a 107 WRC plus, right? So, it's really close to an average guy. And in fantasy, we're not we're not chasing the average guy. So I think with Walsh too, look at the career numbers against lefties so far. He's at 198, 234, 365. Yeah. It's a 60 WRC plus against lefties. They're not going to give him that playing time. They're gonna have someone on the bench that hits from the right side that collects that playing time, at least in the initial roster build. Maybe if that player gets hurt or struggles, maybe then there's a path for him to play every day again. But I, I would say you have big side platoon risk pretty you know, clearly screaming in your face here. Yeah, that's and that's tough to bet on because, uh, you know, where he was going at 118, you were saying, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a full time guy. So I think you got to push him down to like where last year uh, Luke Voigt and uh, Alex Kirloff and Spencer Torkelson were going. So around pick 200. Yeah, or uh, Brandon Belt territory, maybe from a year ago, like 246. Yeah, I would be I'd be looking at him. Uh, I think, you know, around then, now you're starting to talk about, like, is he going to be a capable corner infielder? And uh, then you kind of take him and hope that the surgery took and, and you know, he goes back to 2019 numbers, 20, uh, 2021 numbers. Have we talked about DJ LeMayhew at the other positions? Because I kind of feel like <laughs> we keep like swim we, moving past him. him because we're like, oh, we'll talk, talk about him somewhere guy. else. <laughs> well... Okay, I mean, the things we know about the 2022 season is that opposite field power took a big hit, and we know that DJ LeMahieu goes the other way because that's always been his approach, and in Yankee Stadium, especially as a right-handed hitter, going the other way means going to the short porch in right field. So it, there's a there's a complicated health situation with DJ LeMahieu, too. It's how much of it was the change in the ball, how much of it was... Uh, maybe not being even close to fully healthy for a significant portion of the season on top of the other environmental changes. Yeah, I'm willing. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I was never willing to pay the full price, but as this price drops, uh, I'm interested because, it, 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 you know, you look at this, he still produced $8 of value last year, you know, and he was still eligible at three positions. So as bad as it, kind of was because you invested 134th pick in him last year and you were you're always saying where's the power if it becomes like a a pick 200 situation next year or even a pick 185 where Rizzo went this year I'm 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 become more interested in him again because he's a guy who can uh you know provide me some positional flexibility and who's going to hit for a good average uh and could hit 15 homers and steal 10 bases next year you know, it's 
on the board there. And uh, for him to put this kind of stuff together with the hurt toe and all the other things he had going on, um, I actually find some silver lining in it. Yeah, I think you're probably you're probably always going to look at 2019. Anyone looking at seasons from DJ LeMahieu, you're going to look at that and say, no, I'm, I'm not expecting that again. Right. The parts of that season you might expect again with health would be a run scored total that is at or near 100 and maybe an RBI count even that gets to the 70 to 80 range if if he stays healthy. I think being yeah, as bad as the last two years where he got an 84 and a 74 in the run category. Like I think he's going to be an asset in runs and an asset in batting average. And then also just not not be a negative anywhere beyond that. Right. And having you know multi-position eligibility still, that's pretty nice as well. He still qualifies at first, second, and third. So to get a player like that, and it is going to be around pick 200, at least in the early part of draft season, that makes a lot of sense. Because you can look at LeMahieu, it can compare him to Jake Cronenworth who also has you know, multi-position eligibility, at least was first base eligible entering this season. Let's see if he's still eligible there. Yeah, he just made it, just got to 20 games, so he'll stay first base eligible in the future. And where is he, uh, where is he going in these drafts? Way higher Pick 170, only about two rounds earlier. That's still, that's still 30 that's still thirty picks of value, and I, th- I think they're very similar players for next year. Yeah, just in terms of how much power you expect, where most of the value comes from, I think they're very similar players as well. Uh, we have a few young players at the position that are pretty tough to figure out. I mean, let's start with the fun one. Vinny Pasquantino, taking a peek at the early ADPs on him. Right around pick 100 is the current ADP. I don't know if I feel confident in trying to project where he'll be going in April like with precision, but I think it's earlier than that. I think there are a lot of people that like him. The nickname, the skills, the role, all of it. It's all. It's all. These are all good things. For Vinny Pasquantino. So I think if you are a believer, I think you have to be ready to pony up what might be a top 75 or top 80 pick once we get to March and April. He has the 13th best projected WRC plus next year by Steamer. Tied with Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, that's not going to drive up uh, hype at all, right? <laughs> Oh my God! Of course, uh, that's not of uh, uh, that doesn't port over to fantasy value completely because, for example, Paul Goldschmidt is projected for 29 homers, Pasquantino 24. Paul Goldschmidt is projected for six stolen bases, Pasquantino two. Paul Goldschmidt is uh, projected for 91 RBI and 90, 94 RBI, 91 runs. Pasquantino is projected for 81 RBI and 74 runs. So there's a lot of ways where th- that, you know, you can't just look at the WRC plus and say, uh, yes, here's a Goldschmidt light. Definitely not going to steal any bases. I don't think he's in a really great position to uh, turn all those doubles into homers either. So in terms of Kansas city, so uh, it could be a trap. Uh, one thing that I just love about him is he gives me those Mookie Betts vibes with the walk rate and the strikeout rate. I just love people who walk more than they strike out and hit for power. Uh, it's uh, catnip for me. So I think, um, I don't know, I- I'll try to like, you know, take him where my projections say to take him. But I may, uh, I may target him a little bit. You're saying, it, you know, it's like around, especially if it's around 100. I, I love him there. Uh, around 70, around 75. Where's he go? Where's he? If he goes up to 75, what's he? Who's he going up against? At the position, it's nobody unless Nathaniel Lowe moves with him. They're kind of right next to each other. Similar min, similar max. Again, very limited number. 18 drafts so far for early. NFBC, but if you look at all positions, you'd be looking at Corey Seager versus Vinny Pasquantino. The guy that's done it a bunch of times, or the guy that you want to see do it for a full (laughs) season at the level for the first time. Yeah, okay. O'Neal Cruz. 75. Well, yeah, I think that's going to be a pretty aggressive place for O'Neal Cruz, too. Yeah, he's he's sitting there already. See, when you break stat cast like that, People tend to just get really excited. I think I may just have to be happy with my shares of O'Neill Cruz in Keeper Leagues. <laughs> I wouldn't fault you if that's what you did. Are you taking Vinny Pasquantino ahead of Xander Bogarts? I mean, again, I realize there's a 
major difference in position there, but that's the thing. If, if Vinny moves up, he's going ahead of guys like Xander Bogarts. He'd be going ahead of even some really good pitchers. I mean, you're talking you Darvish going in that range. Mm-hmm. Tyler Glass now goes in that range. I know you've always liked Joe Musgrove, Zach Gallen. They go around pick 75. So you, the other paths a kind of a, are all really a, good. A big leap for me there. Uh, there's a lot of veteran names. At 100, uh, you know, is when I like to take shots at, you know, a young player that might take a jump up into the top 50 or whatever. But at 75, a lot of, a lot of those veterans are just like, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, what's wrong with Corey Seager? He's he's maybe one of the guys who will benefit the most from the new shift rules. I, maybe he gets some helium because of that, right? That's going to make its but way around. But then there's still Xander Bogarts and Joe Musgrove and like all these like capable number twos. Zach Gallen, I love Zach Gallen. I want Zach Gallen. I want Zach Gallen and I want Vinny P, you know, a round or two later. <laughs> Here's a current toss-up across positions. Eloy Jimenez versus Vinny Pasquantino. You know, on that one, I might take uh, I might take Pasquantino. Neither one of them is going to steal many bases. Uh, positional value between an outfielder and a first baseman might actually go towards the first baseman. Uh, they're very similar skill sets, right? They're guys that make uh, make good contact and uh, hit for power. Yep. Uh, but I think uh, Pasquantino's eye is a little bit a little bit better. And then you don't have all this injury history. He walks more and he strikes out less. Yeah. Yeah, so there I'm 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 okay with Pascantino, but Wow, they're only ten months apart in age. That's crazy. And we've seen Eloy for parts of four seasons in the big leagues already. It would be like almost four full seasons if he'd been healthy during that time. Yeah, that's kind of a double edged sword, right? Like because Pascantino's twenty five, that means that reduces his upside. In terms of like maybe he won't ever be like a forty homer hitter. Like we're we're seeing him at his best right now. At the same time, we're seeing him at his best right now, right? Like he's he's debuting into his peak range. I think the first time Vinny came up, at least as a prospect of the week on the show, I thought the the age to level minor league production and skills looked a lot like Nate Lowe. That was to mm. me is like that's probably the most likely player in the big leagues that he turns into but there was but I might like to take him over Nate Lowe because Nate Lowe still even though he's doing some work on it he does go to the opposite field more often and so he's not going to benefit from these shift rules and it also means that the power to me is a little soft and a little bit um a little bit subject to variation year to year whereas Pascantino you know has a little bit more pull power yeah, and I think the thing that really shatters that comp is that you know, Lowe struck out less in the minors and then got to the big leagues and the strikeout rate jumped. That didn't happen for Vinny Pasquantino. So I do think oh he's showing God, he's showing a better ceiling. Swinging strike rate on a power hitter. Cool. Yeah, so here's here's the DVR fun tip of the month, quarter. I don't know. <laughs> I got to work on that segment name. When you look at projections, now and always, always look at the plate appearance count because if you look you were comparing him to paul goldschmidt which i think is totally fine because you saw similarities in the wrc plus there's a pretty big gap in playing time projected for those two players it's about a hundred plate appearances more on goldschmidt right now and if, if Vinny gets all 666 those projections start to align better yep so that would be my case for Vinny Pasquantino relative to current projections is that I I think he goes over on playing time. I don't think I don't think he's going to struggle. I think he's going to play well enough to keep the job and just be an everyday guy for them all season long and I think oh, that yeah. playing time count might end up being really similar and right now it's not reflected in the projection. So if you ran that through an auction calculator, it would be missed there as well. I also was not that far off on my Mookie Betts uh, c- uh, comparison. Mookie Betts has a 6.7% swing strike rate. Vinny Pascantino had a 6.6% last year. Vinny Pascantino had the same swing strike rate as Nico Horner, but a lot more power. He had a... Uh, th- here are the power hitters in Vinny Pascantino's swing strike rate ra- range. I love them all. Jose Ramirez, Mookie Betts, Jose Altuve, even Will Smith. I love that. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of power hitters around here. Juan Soto, Alex Bregman. It's good players. Yeah, it does. It does make you think maybe more like 20 to 25 homers. 
right? There's not really a 30 homer guy there, although Atuve, I think, has done it before. Um, but still, just going to be a beautiful, beautiful line across the board. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. I have a couple more questions for you pertaining to uh, young players, especially Spencer Torkelson. Went 1-1 in the draft a few years ago, had a job to call his own, didn't really have any issues coming up through the Tigers system, kind of handled every stop very capably. I would say the, the only red flag, if there was one, was maybe the low average at AAA over a partial season, but I don't... I wasn't looking at that and saying, stay away from Spencer Torkelson. I thought he was very safe, thought he was a good floor player, didn't think he'd get demoted, and they were very patient with him, to their credit. The Tigers waited a long time before sending Spencer Torkelson back to Toledo. Does it give you any concern that when he went back down, he was less productive this year at AAA than he was in a similarly sized sample the previous year when he was playing at AAA for the first time? Uh, yeah, yeah, that bothers me. Uh, also, just watching him, looking at the spray charts, looking at where he plays his games at home, and then just looking at the shape of his season, dude was lost. And, and, and he does not fit the park that he plays in. So I know that he's projected for a 112 WRC plus by Steamer, and he's projected to be a useful player with a 320 OBP and 20 homers and I know that that might be enticing to some, um, but I don't know that I'm going to be one of those people because if you look at the spray chart over at Fangrass right now, he's a right center guy. And right center in Detroit is death. It's death valley. It's awful. It's, I think, and this is, I'm not 100% sure of this, but somebody that I really trust is 100% sure of this. It's further to right center than it's listed on the wall. So for we some are, reason, we, yeah. Why? Why would I, you do that? I don't know. Uh, they they looked at uh, they looked at satellite imaging to 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 make sure of this, but um, <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I didn't do that. But if you look at his spray chart, he is obviously a right center guy, and he's trying to he hit, you know, he hits uh, like three or four homers down the line. But if you look at like his fly balls, they're going to right center. It's just, it's, it's an approach that's not going to work. Now, could he spend the offseason doing this? Yes, but the offseason he's spending, you know, trying to unlock pull power is going to do two things uh, that, are, that are tough to do. One is go against everything he's been doing since, what, Little League? You know what I mean? Like this, is, this has been who he is and he's got to go against who he is. And two, what I've been talking about in terms of trying to unlock, um, you know, pull side power means committing earlier. We've got a guy who already struck out 25% of the time last year. If he's going to commit earlier, then you're going to see that swing strike rate go up to where the 12% he was in the middle, in, in AAA last year and the 26.5% strikeout rate. So now you're talking about maybe he's going to come back and unlock the power, but strike out 28% of the time. 
So if that's the case, then, you know, a 230 projected batting average might be high. So now we're looking at a, a guy who's going to be like a 220, 220 hitter, uh, maybe unlock the pull side power. I just, you know what I mean? Like it's, yes, he could fix it, but I don't, I don't see, I don't really look at anything that he did last year and be like, oh, at least he, I mean, the one thing that he didn't do was chase a lot. So there's a decent eye in there. But if he's got to commit earlier to unlock pull side power, he's going to put a lot of pressure on that chase rate. How much do you look at someone like Andrew Vaughn and see how he struggled? And his situation was so odd, odd because he didn't get to play in 2020 and he skipped from high A to the big leagues between 2019 and 2021. And they said, hey, go, go learn how to play left field, by the way, while you hit big league pitching for the first time. Because I think Vaughn's 2022 is probably where I would put Torkelson's ceiling for 2023. Like To me, that would be the most you would hope for from him. If that happens this season, you're thrilled as a Tigers fan. And that's 271, 321, 429, 17 homers. It's a good season. I can't see it, though, because Andrew Vaughn has a better hit tool. Mm. I mean, look, just even look at the Fangrass hit tool grades. 55-70 yeah. for him. And uh, I know they have 50-60 for Spencer Torkelson, but I would, you know, I think we have a little bit more, um, you know, minor league uh, strikeout rates and swing strike rates. So I would, I would just sort of revise that down to like, you know, 50 present, you know, <laughs> you know, if that. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think Andrew Vaughn's hit tool. Now, Andrew Vaughn does chase more and he is a right center guy. So I think it is a good comp. Um you know, but I also think uh, that his stadium is more forgiving for guys who go right center. Um, and he just starts with that better hit tool. So I think throwing a 271 batting average on Spencer Torkelson next year, I'll just, I'd be very surprised. Yeah. Uh, again, that's for me, that's like the highest end outcome for him based on what we've seen so far. And you're much more likely to get something that's closer to that projection which steamer has the 232 mark right now for spencer torkelson no but vaude is really interesting to bring up one last thing he's played uh now a thousand plate appearances in the big leagues and steamer projects him to uh be better than he has been so far i i know i mean is it just aging curves is it like what else are they looking at are they they thinking he was unlucky at a 301 bad last year i don't uh is it you know was he unlucky relative to his barrels if he was a lot of those were apple barrels so you're not gonna you know you gotta adjust for that um i'm a little surprised by that and uh it is also interesting to note that andrew vaughn is almost a win below replacement on fangraphs for his career so far just doesn't seem like an outfielder no he's miscast there but, uh, you know, now with with uh, Rayu gone, he could uh, just get the regular everyday first base role. Um, and that might uh, improve his defensive numbers enough to make him uh, the two-win player that Steamer projects. I don't think he's one of those players that's uh, at, at a risk of, of losing playing time because of his negative war. Um, but um, it's, just, it's been super interesting to see this and then to have Steamer be like, yeah, I see all this and he's going to be even better next year totally plausible possible it seems weird to like use that as your baseline you know yeah no i'm with you there now we saw a little bit of tristan cassis this year injuries limited him to 27 games with the red sox 72 at triple a before that opportunity played really well the triple a level it was a 127 wrc plus and and definitely a, a kind of an older 22 by the end of the year but a debut at 22 is absolutely nothing to to sneeze at what we saw at the end of the year was a slightly higher K rate, plenty of walks, kind of a low barrel rate, but fewer than a hundred plate appearances. So it's just hard to have a, a meaningful takeaway. Also like a 57% ground ball rate, which he never was over 43 in the minors. So yeah, that just seems like very small sample noise to me. So this almost, it's almost a useless data point for me. And I'm pretty optimistic. I think they're going to give him a chance to be an everyday or at least a, a big side platoon guy. And I think 
because the debut was okay, not great, and very limited in duration, I think that's also going to keep the price pretty reasonable for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of the stats you would look like early, look at really early on in, in a career like this, uh, they all look good, like a very small chase rate, uh, very small swing strike rate. So uh, for a guy his big, as big as he is, um, do you, like, what do you think is going to happen with Eric Hosmer? That is a problem. <laughs> Just in terms age? Of, of playing to, I mean, or, or do you, do you like cast, do you split it? Go Why first did they do that deal? Did they get a, did they get somebody with Eric Hosmer? Why did they do that deal? Okay. They also got minor leaguers, Corey Rozier and Max Ferguson. And the Padres pay the rest of the deal. It's very strange for me. Yeah, the Padres are paying all but the the league minimum for each of the next three seasons on Hosmer. They don't have to keep Hosmer. I think there's a there's, I I could be wrong, but um, the I think the F, the average, um, I think the AAV resets when you're traded. So is there a there's a luxury tax implication for the Padres, even though they're still stuck paying the remainder, the most of the remainder of the deal. It doesn't impact them the same way as if they had DFA'd them themselves. That the a traded contract is re- recalculated to reflect the remaining actual dollars. So I think yeah, I think that uh, Eric Hosmer's AAV on the luxury tax was higher. When he, when you just look at his whole deal, because wasn't it like it was like a hundred and fifty million dollar deal? Yeah, he had an opt out that he could have exercised now, and of course he didn't. Yeah, he, he didn't. opted in for three for thirty nine. So I imagine that the three for thirty nine is what stays on the yeah. books for calculation purposes. And it was an eight year one forty four. So the average, the AAV before the trade was more. <laughs> was eighteen. Yeah. So they they cut five million dollars off of their uh, off their luxury tax payroll by trading him, and the Red Sox, I guess, were like, "Hey, this is a guy who might help us down the stretch. Stretch. We're not paying the rest of the money. We're paying him seven hundred thousand dollars, and we get two minor leaguers. We're just buying the minor leaguers, I guess. So, yeah. you think they might just cut him? They could, or they could just I mean, play him as a bench player. Just don't use him as a backup." Left-handed yeah. bat off the bench, part-time guy. Part-time. It DH. doesn't. It's yeah. It's not. I don't know. It's not. It's not great. But at that price, does if it Cassis plays well, it does. Eric Hosmer doesn't matter. Right, and if he doesn't play well, then you've got someone on the roster that can just step in and be maybe be passable. Yeah, Hosmer's career, by the way, is just so weird. How much playing time are you projecting for Cassis then, based on what we know right now? Here's the weird thing about projections, man, and and why they're always wrong and they're still right. You know what I mean? Like, it's still right to do what you're doing. But uh, Tristan Cassis is either going to, like, if he, if Tristan Cassis does what he's projected to do, which uh, is a two, two uh, a 122 WRC plus, yeah, 124. We'll see a 124. Yeah. So either the WRC plus projection is wrong or the plate appearance projection is wrong because if he is a 124 WRC plus uh, first baseman next year, then he's going to get 650 or whatever. Right. So he's, if he's a big side platoon guy that's productive, he's probably based on projections. He's Josh Naylor at a minimum. And if he's able to even handle some lefties, then the playing time goes through the roof. You're right. Because the, a, a 124 WRC plus is definitely good enough to play and play a lot at first base. And in fact, given how splits normally work, it's it's good enough to play all the time because you 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 just look at uh, if he's 124 overall, then he's you know 130 uh, against uh, righties and probably like 105, 110, 110 against lefties. You know the of just looking at like normal splits, you know? So if that's the case, then he can play against all guys. Like the higher that overall WRC plus gets, the more likely they can play against anybody. So, you know, I, I maintain that if he had a, if he has a 124 WRC plus or better next year, he's going to get all the playing time he wants. 
but the but the reason why you know you have a projection system hedge their bets like this is because it may not be that way and you have to bake that risk into the projection somehow you know you have to bake that risk into the final auction calculator number or whatever you think they're worth you know and so the, i mean the red sox know this right they're like well we think Cassis is going to be our first baseman but also we have eric hosmer in case it doesn't work out they've hedged their bets you got him at a league minimum rate now too because someone else is footing the bill you can live with that that's not a problem yeah no commitment so. I, it's the type of player that I have a hard time buying because I'm like, what do I do if it doesn't work out? Yeah, I, I can understand that. It's funny that he's right next to, Cassis is right next to Joey Manessis in ADP right now. Mm. So do you want the the old success story, the surprising late breakout? He should have all the playing time he wants. Whereas the pressure on Cassis to perform is greater because of what the Red Sox seemingly want to do in 2023. Manessis plays until he gives the Nats a reason not to play him over a long <laughs> period of time. Whereas Cassis, if he goes cold for even a couple of weeks, suddenly they're starting to think twice about each spot they're using him in, potentially. Yeah. I mean, and it's funny, Steamer here has a projection of 115 for Joey Manessis, which would suggest he's a little closer uh, to maybe being platoon, but he's a right-hander. Um, and they just give him the 637 plate appearances because they look at that depth chart and say, no, he's got to play. So yeah. I, I think, um, I think I would, uh, I think I would actually, and this might be a failing of mine as a player. I'm not, I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. Uh, I think I would maybe take Manessis, but you've got a, a fairly high chase rate, uh, for a guy that does have a good hit tool. Um, I think his numbers are a little better than Frank Schwindel's. Um, they are. But uh, there is that sort of, what about Frank Schwindel that's in the back of my head when I look at his numbers? So yeah, Manessis has a better O-swing percentage by more than five percentage points Schwindel than what Schwindel had like last year. kind of year. a crazy reacher. Yeah, he's kind of just reached everything. Almost two percentage points more in barrel rate seven for Joey to, Manessis. Seven and a half to ten or whatever. Yep, and more hard hit balls overall. 47.1% to 39.8%. So... Just based on what they did upon arrival as kind of late bloomers, Manessis was kind of better in any way that and we don't just be like, about. I can't take Manessis because Schwindel sucked last year, you know? Like, can't he, do that. Totally is, different players. Yeah, every player is different. Similar story, similar long wait to get the opportunity, which, you know, I, I've, I will fully admit I wondered if Schwindel was a cautionary tale for Manessis. He might be, but it's less likely after seeing Manessis for what we just got in 2022 than it was upon arrival. Yeah, but then there's also, you know, he's 30 years old, so the shape of, of possible outcomes really favors Casas. I think it also depends, like, you know, where I'm, bu I'm buying him. If these guys, if, if I'm buying these guys for a bench spot, then I'm buying Casas, you know, because uh, it's a bench spot and I want to see, is he starting every day early in the season? Does he have a good barrel rate? Does he have a chase rate? Am I going to hold on to him? If not, two weeks in, gone. I got, to, I got to keep moving, you know. Uh, but if I'm taking him for corner infield, I might want to ra rather have Joey Manessis because I want the plate appearances. I want to be sure of my plate appearances. If I'm making the call today, I think I'm taking Cassis at the current prices. I think there's it's a better chance exciting. that Cassis might jump a few rounds in ADP, though. If we get to spring training, he's out there with the, the A Best case for Manessis is he just, he just does what he did last year in bigger sample, right? Yeah. The best case for Cassis is he does better than his projections because he's a young player and projections don't always nail those guys. Exactly. A lot of interesting players we didn't get to because we're saving them for the preview <laughs> That'll episode. That'll be the difference. <laughs> we didn't get to see Matt Mervis in the big leagues this year. We can't review 2022 Matt Mervis That's because right. it's an incomplete. So we, we have a whole talk episode. about him going forward. A whole Matt Mervis episode awaits you at some point later on this winter. So you have that to look forward to, among hopefully a few other things. If, if that's all you're looking forward to, please consult me and I will try and help you find a few more things to get excited about because there's plenty of things to be excited about. If you'd like to drop us an email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com is the best way to do that. You can leave us a question under this video on YouTube. If you're watching us there, be sure to hit the like button. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you would like a subscription to The Athletic, they are just $1 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Get that offer while you can. We have no idea how much longer that will actually 
be available. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you next week. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.